Well, good morning and welcome to SDBC Online this morning. It's great to have you with us regardless of where you are in the world. I know there's quite a few people logging in from different places and it's exciting to have you with us, but we should continue to be thankful that we can meet this way. It's absolutely, absolutely exceptional. I'm not sure what your experience has been regarding the passage that we're looking at tonight from Luke, but... I've been always told that it's the parable of the unjust judge or the parable of the persistent widow. I've never heard it referred, referred to as the parable of persistent prayer. Uh, Pastor Darrell would like that. It uses the three Ps. That's the way he does his sermons. So regardless of all that, though, the parables are stories that illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And I think sometimes uh, when we think about this particular parable, we have a tendency to focus on the unrighteous judge or the persistent widow rather than focusing on what it is all about. And it's actually about patience, perseverance or even persistence in prayer. It has this call to live in expectation of Christ's return and that our prayer life should be shaped accordingly. We should have this urgency about it because Christ is likely to return any time. But before we get into it, I want you to be honest with God and with yourselves. How is your prayer life going right now? Has prayer got a little bit old for you? Is it something that as you've continued in the Christian life, it's just become one of those things of faith that you have to do? The passion, the enthusiasm, the expectation of answers is gone and you find yourself just going through the motions so you can tick the box and say that you pray most days. And sadly, I believe that for many of us, myself included, we take God and praying to God for granted. Let me ask you, when was the last time you paused and considered how amazing it is that you just get to talk to God and not only talk to him, but he listens to you. He has this desire to hear from you. He takes every word you say and he also answers it. This is the creator of the universe, the one who holds everything we can see together with his very word. He is, the, in, he is enthroned in glory. He is all-powerful, almighty. He sits in unapproachable light uh, with 10,000 times, 10,000 angels around him and the angels and the elders constantly singing and bowing before him and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this God, this magnificent, all-powerful, omnipresent being listens to my prayers. He listens to your prayers. The ones I speak aloud, the ones you speak aloud, the ones that we cannot verbalise, our thoughts. He knows them all, he hears them all, and he answers. What an incredible privilege we have. And today I hope this message will stir you to reconnect with God, to rekindle your prayer life. And if you're already there, then I hope this message encourages you to continue to do the same thing, to keep pressing into God, to keep praying and to encourage others to do likewise, to be found praying to our God. And today, it's not about a guilt trip, but maybe it's a wake-up call. Maybe it's a call for you to do what you have not done for a while. But all Christians are called to pray to God and we should want to. We should want to have private prayer with God one-on-one. -on -one. We should want to join corporately together and pray. We should want to seek God's face. And we should want to do that first and foremost when we awake in the morning and then continue that conversation throughout the day with our God. Before we get into it, let's just pause and pray. 
Father God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to pray to you. I thank you that you're hearing my voice now. And Lord, I just ask that as I speak your word this morning, the people will hear your voice in that, that they will be challenged, Lord, and that they will respond to what you say to them. Lord, I ask that they'll be encouraged and spurred on to pray more earnestly to you, to spend more time conversing with you. And as a result, Lord, they draw closer to you. I want to know you more, Lord. And I ask that that will be the desire and heart of everyone who's hearing my voice this morning. Soften our hearts, open our ears to hear from you now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we approach this parable this morning, in fact, as we approach any parable at all in Scripture, there's one question we should ask. What is this parable all about? And it's pretty basic and straightforward. I can hear you say that and I understand why you would say that. But when it comes to reading parables, there's a few things we should actually press into. What is the setting or the occasion upon which this parable is being told? What is the story that is being told there? Basically, what's the plot and what is highlighted as a result of this parable? And what's the significance? What is the point of the story? And how does it answer the issues that are actually raised within the parable itself? In this parable, the reason the purpose is stated quite clearly. Uh, when we look at Luke 18, 1, we see, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we are to pray and not lose heart. Or if you like, we should continue to pray and not be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. And when they are given the account, and then, sorry, we are given the account of this widow. When we read this today, we may not appreciate the desperation of this woman. It's clear throughout history, um, and particularly with Israel, that widows um, frequently experienced oppression, hardship, and great difficulty. We find in Deuteronomy 10:18 that God Himself defends the uh, cause of orphans and widows. And again, in Deuteronomy 27:19, He takes it a step further in saying that one who perverts the justice due to a widow shall be cursed. But even with these Old Testament warnings, widows still suffered and were mistreated. And this is made clear in Isaiah 1.23. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them. And this theme is repeated in Malachi as well, where he states that God will testify against those who oppress the widows and the fatherless. But the reality for the widow in the account that we're reading today is that she has no way to provide for herself. Uh, today, we have a few services that will kick in in the account of a widow and they'll provide some financial services to widows. But none of that is available to this lady. Her lack of resources means she has no place to live. She has no way of gaining food, no ability to provide a reasonable future for her children uh, in marriage or even to provide for them in the immediate future with food and clothing for them as well. And so because there's nothing readily available for her, she'd be forced to beg. Or as scripture tells us, she would be one of those women who goes behind the harvesters to glean the grain that is left for those who are poor. And the other options are for her to sell herself or perhaps even to sell one of her children. Obviously, none of these are favourable outcomes. But this woman, she seems to have had something that was left to her by her late husband. 
And in all likelihood, this would have been a very small parcel of land. But even this is of no value when someone takes it from her and she has no way to defend herself. She doesn't have the finances to pay for a legal team or uh, representation in order to get justice. So she begs for justice, as it says in Luke 18.3. And she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And so there is this adversary, someone she is in conflict with, which appears to indicate that someone has come and taken this parcel of land from her. And small though this parcel of land would have been, it would have been enough for her to produce some produce, some crops, enough food and grain to feed her and her children, and perhaps enough to sell a little bit to purchase other products as well. And so her last hope is begging for justice. She can't afford legal representation. So she does what she can, and she goes directly to the judge. Now, Jesus' teaching here is typical to the Jewish method. He used using contrast to emphasize his point. So here's this poor widow. This widow has nothing. She has no opportunity to improve herself in her current situation. And he compares her to this man, this judge. And this guy had everything. He lacked nothing. But the thing is, he didn't care about what people thought of him either. He didn't care about God. And we are told that in a certain town there was a judge and he neither feared God nor respected people. When you think about it, he really wasn't fit to be a judge. He didn't care for the things of God. And think about that. When God judges, God is fair and just. This guy wasn't. He had no regard for God at all. And he really didn't care what people thought of him. He was willing to make rulings, but that had little to do with justice. So often the outcomes were the result of bribery. And these judges would often delay their rulings to maximize the potential of one or both parties coming to them and offering them more money, uh, significant sums of money, in order to purchase a favorable outcome from the judge. And so he would attend only to the things that benefited himself. He would attend to the business of the rich, the popular and the powerful in order to further his own lot. And he would further that both socially and financially. And so he had little or no regard for the common man, even less so for a widow who had nothing that she could possibly offer him. And so when the widow comes to him, the judge responds, so remember the widow's cry from verse 3. Give me justice against my adversary. Well, we're told that the judge refused to act. Look at Luke 18 verses 4 to 5. For a long time, the judge refused to act. But at last he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because of all the trouble this widow is giving me, I will see to it that she gets her rights. If I don't, she'll keep on coming and finally wear me out. There were plenty of others who could pay him better than this woman. So he disregarded her. The first day she came, he possibly just fobbed her off. Next case, please, and dismissed her. And he moved on to something which would have greater potential of a return for him. But he didn't realize this woman, she was determined. She was going to be heard. She was going to see justice done. And so she came again and again and again. And she wouldn't leave him alone. And she was most likely broken hearted because of the loss of her husband. But no one was going to break her spirit. The judge, he was hard hearted. He was set in his ways. But she was not going to yield. 
Imagine what's going on. This guy has begun to fear seeing this widow turn up at the most inappropriate times. I would imagine that their encounters become a lot more public. She waited until he finished his workday and they reminded him of the need for justice for herself. He may have begun fear, fearing seeing her in the marketplace when he was walking through there and things like that as well, where he should take the opportunity there to remind him again that she needed justice. When he went to one of his parties, she'd be outside waiting to remind him once more. And understand he wasn't afraid of her, but she was wearing him down until he finally caved and he gave her what she wanted. She gets the justice she had long sought. And what does Jesus say here? What is his application for this story? Think back to what this parable is about. It's all about praying, how we should always pray and never lose heart. What we have to return to is this call to always pray. The trap we may fall into is to think that Jesus is saying we need to be persistent in prayer like the widow was. We need to be found hounding and pestering God until he gives us what we ask for. If that's how we interpret this parable, it gives the impression that God is like this judge and that we can only get him to respond if we twist God's arm in prayer and he ultimately relents. But that is not what this is about. Nothing could be further from the truth. That interpretation and attitude totally misses the fatherly heart of God, a God who is not reluctant to bless, but in fact is waiting, ready to pour his grace, his love and his blessings out upon all of his children. And Jesus points to the unrighteous judge. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, his children, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Jesus is drawing his disciples' attention to what the judge says. He's saying, this is important, guys. Pay attention. What Jesus is doing, again, is that typical Jewish storytelling method. He's contrasting the worst of man against the best of God. This, this judge, although he didn't fear God, although he didn't respect man, he relents. He gives the widow what she asked for. And the whole point Jesus is saying is, God is not like that. He's not a thing like the judge. Our God is a God who loves us so much. He's willing to do anything and everything for us. Jesus' death on the cross clearly indicates how much he is willing to sacrifice. And think, think about the fact that we are now adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've been adopted into his family. Do you know how much he values me? How much he values you? I want you to think about John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Our God no longer calls us servants, but he calls us friends. In, in, in John, uh, that's actually Greek, but the Greek word that is used there is the same uh, meaning as the word that is used in the Old Testament in Hebrew to describe the relationship of two men who were known for their relationship with God. One was Moses and one was Abraham. And it blows my mind that he puts me, God puts me, and he puts you on the same footing as Moses and Abraham. He calls us 
his friends. And the whole point is, all he did for them, he's willing to do for me. He's willing to do for you. If this judge who had no interest in this widow at all, no interest in God whatsoever, who couldn't care less about anything, gave her justice, gave her what she asked for, how much more, how much more will a God who loves and cares for us be more than willing to do much more for us? He will do more than we can ever possibly imagine or dream of. I think we lose the plot regularly. And, well, I suppose I shouldn't speak for you. I do anyway. And I fall into that trap of trying to find a way to pray, a better technique or the words that are more biblical, more holy. But the whole point is the focus of our prayers should not be on us, on what we are doing. The focus of our prayers and our emphasis should be on God and who He is. He is a God who has adopted us as sons and daughters, a God who wants us to call Him Father, a God who calls us friends. And with this in mind, we can return to this passage and what it is actually saying. And Luke 1, uh, sorry, Luke 18, 1 to 8 is all about persistence in prayer. But in what fashion? If you flick back to the last half of chapter 17, you'll see that Jesus is talking about his return. And the last thing said in the passage we're looking at today is, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The passage we've looked at continues the theme of Jesus' return. And the whole point, I believe, of it being here is to challenge us to the right attitude and the right thinking in the midst of living in what can only be described as the end times. Jesus is returning. Will he find faith on earth when he does? Think again upon the parable. This widow is a person helpless in society with her only hope of justice being her appeal to the authority found in the judge. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him night and day? Will he delay long over them? The unrighteous judge relented because of the widow's persistent pleading. How much more will our father respond to our prayers when we cry to him day and night? A father who sent his son to suffer the greatest injustice, the most horrendous death, so we could have a relationship with him. He knows the pain, he knows the heartache, and he knows what you're going through right now. The Christian life is not a life we choose to live because it's easy. It's a life chosen because we have had the truth of God revealed to us. And once it's revealed, and once we accept it, we become enemies of the world, and the world will hate us. The injustices we face the rejection, the insults, and for some, the persecution and death they will face. How are we called to handle it? We are to pray without ceasing. We are called to not lose heart. God hears our prayers and he answers them. In fact, he tells us to pray without ceasing, to pray without getting tired of doing so, to pray without losing heart, because that is how we connect with him. And that is how we open the floodgates of his blessing and his presence in our lives. And I want to ask you, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that's what God wants us to do? Because caught up in this call to pray constantly without losing heart is the hope we confess that we have. We pray because of that hope. A hope that says Jesus is coming again. A hope that believes Jesus will catch us up with him and we will live eternally in his presence. It is a hope that Jesus is saying should be reflected in us 
faithfully praying, persevering in prayer day and night. Think back to what I said at the start of this message. Has prayer become something you're just going through the motions with at the moment? Do you see it as something you have to do rather than something that you want to do? Has the passion for your faith, the passion for praying gone? Today, this passage calls us to always pray and never give up. This is the whole point of the parable. It's a simple message. Ask yourself, what have you stopped praying for? Why did you stop praying for that? Sometimes we stop praying because the answer didn't come as quickly as we thought it should. And so we gave up. We stopped praying about it. Think about who you are praying to in light of today's message. God loves you. He hears you. He wants the very best for you. He will answer. And his timing is best. My wife and I have faced some terrible times in our lives and we've poured our hearts out to God day and night. And it may have seemed many, many times that he didn't hear or he didn't care or he didn't respond. But I can tell you, he always did. And for us, or perhaps just for me, Elena's got greater faith than I have. It often seemed that he turned up almost too late. And in hindsight, his timing was perfect. And Elena and I, as you know, enjoy talking about the many times he's answered our prayers in what seem to be impossible situations. He is so faithful to us. And what we've read tonight says, will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? That's been my experience. Will he delay long over them? And the answer is, of course not. No, he won't. He may keep us waiting to exercise our patience. He may keep us waiting to strengthen our faith. But in his good, perfect time, he will answer the prayers of his people. And I believe we need to learn how to pray and what to pray for. Our persistence in prayer must align with God's will and purpose. Think about the prayers that were prayed by the believers in Acts 4. They are praying to be empowered to speak the word of God in boldness. Even though they were being persecuted, they didn't pray and ask that God would not allow them to be persecuted. They didn't ask that God would protect them. They didn't ask that God would keep them out of prison. They simply prayed to be obedient to God and all he's called them to and to be bold in proclaiming the word that they were told no longer to proclaim. We should do the same. Are we praying for God's word to be proclaimed through us? Are we asking God to give us that boldness to do it each and every day? Because that's the example that's given to us in scripture. That's the call upon our lives. On top of that, who have we stopped praying for? I remember a girl who was part of my youth group 35 years ago, and yes, I suppose that's showing my age a bit. And she's this girl who was constantly mixed up with the wrong type of people. I don't think she ever went out with a Christian man, a Christian young person either. And God laid on my heart a burden to pray for her, and I prayed for her for many, many, many years. And it seemed futile. I prayed for her and she'd get mixed up with some other guy again and he'd be the wrong type of guy. I encouraged her. I picked up the pieces when she suffered yet another broken relationship. 
And this girl ultimately grew to an age where she got married and her sons are grown men now. And she has AVOs against them. She has AVOs against her husband. Her family is frequently in prison because of their gang affiliations and the drug trafficking that they've been involved in. And as this hole she was digging seemed to get deeper and deeper, I gave up. I stopped praying because I believe she was beyond help. I thought enough is enough. God is showing me this girl cannot be reached. She can't be changed. A few years after what happened with the family occurred, I went to a funeral back in Bundaberg, uh, the father of someone I discipled for many years. And while there, I found out this girl, this girl that I'd given up on, this girl that I'd written off, was attending church. No big deal, lots of people attend church, but this was different. She was not only attending church, but she was telling people about the transforming power of Jesus Christ in her life. She was telling people about how he had changed her and how he'd called her to himself. And she was encouraging people who were not part of the church to experience his love and forgiveness just as she did. And she was bringing lots of people into the church. Lots of people. Who have you stopped praying for? God is saying today, never give up. Continue to pray. For Elena and I, life hasn't been easy. For myself, Life hasn't been easy. My first wife left me. My friends left me. The church kicked me out. I had an emotional breakdown. I lost my job. Couldn't repay my debts. But God continued to minister in the midst of that. But in the middle of that, there was one man, one man who continued to pray earnestly for me. I didn't even know. I hadn't even experienced that. And I found out when I went to preach in a little church at Oakwood in Bundaberg. Uh, I was not a pastor at the time. Uh, but I often preached as part of the Christian Motorcyclist Association. And so after the service, I was approached by a group of little old ladies and they came up to me and they said, oh, Charlie, do you remember us? And uh, unfortunately, I had to admit I did not. I, I didn't know who they were. I had no idea. And they said that since I left my former church years previously, a man called David Stark had gathered with them weekly and they gathered to pray about a number of different things. But a constant topic of his prayers was that God would restore me, that he would place me in a church where I could grow in faith once more. And he prayed that God would use me for his kingdom. The man has since passed and he is with the Lord. He has no idea what I'm doing with my life now. I'm not from a worldly perspective. But because of him, because of his prayers, these women continued to pray, never knowing that years later God would answer their prayers and I would stand before them and bring his message to them one day. And neither them or I at that time knew that God would ultimately call me to be a pastor. God seemed slow in his responses. David Stark prayed ceaselessly for me, constantly for me and yet died not seeing a return to that. God may have seemed slow to him, but when his people cry out, when they pray night and day, he hears them and he answers. Will he find us faithfully praying when he returns? I hope so. Do not give up. Pray in faith. Do not lose heart. He hears you. 
He loves you and he wants the very best for you. Let's be a people when we gather, the very foundations of the building we are gathered in are shaken by the power and presence of God. This is a choice. It starts with you. Renew your prayer life today. Will you do that? Will you renew your prayer life with God? Will you ask God to teach you to pray? And will you meet with him every day? He says we must pray without ceasing. Let's be obedient to that call starting today. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence, your power and your love that you pour out upon us so freely. And I thank you for the power of prayer. I thank you we can engage with you. I thank you we can have conversation with you, Lord. And Father, I pray by power of Holy Spirit that you'll minister to each person who's hearing my voice, that they'll understand that they should be praying without ceasing. That, Lord, you lay upon our hearts the things that we should be praying for. We should be willing to step into that. Lord, use us in the coming days and weeks, I pray to intercede on behalf of those who don't know you, to beg you for forgiveness for ourselves and forgiveness for our friends and family, Lord, to be found drawing closer to you, strengthening our relationship with you because we converse with you every moment of every day. I submit to you, Lord, ask that you will guide me in my prayers and I pray that the same for everyone who is hearing me now. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless one and all. Thank you.